Hey, expats and travelers, welcome to this week's episode sponsored by WorldPost.io, the virtual mailbox service powered by Anytime Mailbox. We'll get to the features and benefits a little later. If you're interested in becoming an expat, whether you're moving to Portugal or another overseas location, I highly recommend you get your finances in order before you move. Yes, it's actually really important that you do it before you go. I know when we first got started, we did not do it that way. But if we knew John McNertney at Green Ocean Global, we would have gone to him as he's someone that is Lisbon-based and he is experienced with expat financial challenges. So he's a go-to person that we recommend. Right, he can help you with long-term investments, financial systems, and international taxes. And he's actually helped us and producer Dan has used him to explore what it would be like to move abroad and see if it would fit his family's current financial situation. I think what's great about him is that he gives you personalized plans. He will look into your unique situation and he'll help you out. And this is honestly what's super necessary because we get tax questions and finance questions on the YouTube channel and literally no background from the person that's asking us the question. So now we've started to point people to John. Right, because everyone is different and everyone has their own unique situation. So you need an expert to help you out. All right, so visit greenoceanglobal.net for contact information and further assistance. Check out the show notes below. Hello, and welcome, my emerging expat. You're tuned in to Let's Move to Portugal. I'm producer Dan, and I have the distinct honor of bringing you YouTube travelers and our resident Portugal experts, expats everywhere's Josh and Kaylee. Each week, they'll inspire, they'll educate, and they'll accompany you on your journey to Portuguese residency. This week on Let's Move to Portugal, Josh and Kaylee venture into the city of Laida, a place that posed as a true test to their adventurous spirit. Tune in as they traverse through unexpected turns, share candid encounters with locals, and draw insightful comparisons with cherished spots in Portugal. Hey, expats and travelers alike, welcome back to the Euro Spain Andorra <laughs> road trip podcast. It is good to have you back where we are going to be traveling down the road. I feel like we're driving through Kansas right now. Yeah, lots of corn. Corn to the left and right. Um, but we're going to talk about Yaida today and try to compare it to places that we've been to in Portugal. We're going to try to keep this episode balanced as there might be a lot of negativity towards Yeida. <laughs> that sounds bad. Not negativity, just uh, I guess surprise as to what it was like. Okay, so a little bit of background. Um, we chose Yeida because it's a midway point between Zaragoza and Andorra. And I don't know why I don't know why otherwise we would visit that place. But we did. We actually were asked uh, in a restaurant. A guy was like, "So, you know, what what brought you to Yeida?" And, and um, my response was, um, and this was in Spanish, and it was partially intentional. I said, "I don't know." I said, "I don't know," and he kind of laughed. He laughed, yeah. <laughs> he laughed, and I said, "Well, okay. The, the the truth is, it's because it's the midway point between the two cities." And he's like, "Ah, fair enough." Yeah, I mean, for us, if it was just me and Josh, we would drive 
well, maybe we'd stop just to see a different place, but we probably wouldn't not for stop a couple nights. Yeah. Night. Or just maybe one night only, but um, instead of two. Yeah. But with Sia, we didn't want to go longer than, you know, two and a half hours is probably enough in the car for her to not be super bored. We can catch a nap. Uh, she can look outside. She can watch a little something. But other than that, two and a half hours is max. So it was a good midway point. And we didn't know anything about it, so we decided decided to stay two nights, which was fine because it was relaxing. We weren't doing a city guide or anything on on the on the town, the city. And I mean, the population though is over a hundred thousand, so we didn't think it was going to be like dinky or anything. Yeah, and it wasn't dinky. Um, one hundred thirty-seven thousand people live in the town. Immediately upon entering the town, we check into the hotel, and uh, I get some kind of tourist information from the uh, receptionist and she proceeds to say downtown like on the shopping streets watch your pockets because uh there are a lot of pickpockets interesting yeah yeah that, that's interesting i mean that's not something that i guess should surprise us it was the same like when we lived in madrid you always watched your pockets but um no one had told us that anywhere else anywhere else yet at least um yeah. so yes that was bit of a surprise i guess so we watched our pockets for sure that's it but yeah in terms of like feeling safe though and and the sense of security or safety it felt less safe there than in the other places we'd visited yes definitely and do you want to explain why and then the conversation we well, got in with the... Don't put me on the spot. Do you <laughs> want to explain why? Okay. Well, very quickly, it felt like we weren't in Spain. Um, there were a lot of immigrants there, which isn't a bad thing, of course. But you could feel that it, it was weird. It was, you kind of looked around and you were like, no one looks Spanish here. Um, so we ended up talking with um, a couple who owned a bar from China. And they lived in Mercia for, I think they said, eight years down yeah. there. They had a bar up here in Yeda. I don't know if I'm saying that right. but And we were, we were asking kind of like what the scene was like. And The guy was extremely open about his criticism of the region of Catalonia and about um, just his experience being a foreigner in, in the area. And basically he said, it was, it was very interesting. I'm trying to figure out the best way to translate this. He basically said that there are a lot of undocumented uh, or <clears throat> illegal immigrants that are living in this region. And they are the ones that are causing problems. They're the ones that are causing issues uh, in terms of safety and security. Because even he said like, yeah, he didn't feel safe. It's not safe um, compared to Mercia. He's like, the North is just not safe. And he was very like highly critical of the policies in Catalonia compared to uh, in the south, um, not Andalusia, but Murcia, which is a different region near Andalusia. And he essentially said, like, they're taking care of the illegal immigrants more than us. And the us was interesting because it was implied that it was not just legal immigrants, but it was also Spanish, like locals. So it was very interesting the way he said that. Yes. Like, so, like both of us kind of looked at each other. We were like, huh. Right. Yeah. Okay. And then we looked into it because, okay, we had heard from the receptionist that things were dodgy uh, in terms of, you know, like, you have to watch your stuff. And then we talked to this guy a few hours later. And that's more like, let's, let's do some research and look into this because 
again, like we hadn't planned on producing uh, a city guide. We were basically just here as a stopover um, to chill out, relax, and see another city in Spain. Little did we know that we would be getting a, a political lesson. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, because, yeah. well, like when he was talking about the safety of Catalonia, like you you had even mentioned this, he was talking as if he knew facts about it, not just yeah. like it. I mean, probably a little bit of personal experience, but then also facts. So we're like, okay, let's go look up these facts. And, and you did. What did you find? Well, interestingly enough, what he was saying didn't quite bear out. Like he was saying Catalonia is the worst region. Um, and Barcelona is in this region as well, right? Yes. So, yeah, I mean, Barcelona just to give a context. Mm-hmm. And, and Barcelona is not known for being safe. I want to say it like that. Uh-huh. So it's not known for being unsafe per se, although it does rank in the top 10 unsafest cities in Spain. It's also not a huge surprise because it's a big city. Uh, the big cities are basically in the top 10. All of them are big cities. Right. It kind of comes along with a big city and a place that has a lot of tourism and stuff yeah. as well. Yeah. I think high, like higher density areas tend to be have more crime. So as I look into it, um, the, the demographic mix that exists in Yeda is, is very high. And that could possibly play into it. Uh, it seems like there's more unemployment, so that could possibly play into it as well. Um, but funny enough, funny not funny, Bilbao is is actually the city that that topped the list that I saw. Bilbao and Valencia, they were like in the top three, which is seems super crazy. High. Yeah, but you were saying Valencia is just like as of late, like the past couple of years, it's gotten worse, right? Well, it was something well, like that. Crime has 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 skyrocketed Gone I think up, is yeah. what the article said soared maybe that was the word it used in Valencia um, and then it, you know it backed it up with some data um, but yeah like I was I was quite surprised about that two of the most dangerous neighborhoods uh, in Spain are in Valencia so it could be that the data is thrown off by these two neighborhoods being so elevated in terms of their crime rate. Um, That's odd, right? Yeah. We didn't feel that at all while there. Did not feel that at all while in Valencia. Did not feel unsafe in Bilbao. No. Um, Felt a a little bit of it in Yeda, though. I mean, like a little more, you got to be on guard. Well, we did have one incident. uh, I do want to bring this up. Um, Just as like personal safety notes for Bilbao or anywhere, actually, like just something that we had noticed in Bilbao, we had parked our car um, kind of on a a back street. Yeah, you call it? yeah, not an back alley or back. anything, but like a. It's <laughs> funny. All right. Not an alley, but like a side street that was uh, not as traffic. Traffic. That's a good way of putting yeah. it. Yeah. So we had parked our car there, and the plan was to check out of the hotel, put our stuff in the car. Maybe I should say put our stuff in the car, then check out. And then we were going to leave the car parked there because we were in free parking, uh, street parking, and then we were going to go explore. Well, as we were walking to the car, we noticed that there were five, six guys like in their mid-30s to 50s um, all sitting around 
the area where the car was parked. And there were like three or four cars parked on this street. We were not about to chuck our stuff in there and then walk away from the car. Yeah, just, what's funny is... You, you just, you do not do that. What's funny is when we got to the car, Josh and I both like looked at each other and were like, we should move the car. Like we both were we on the looked, same page about it. We just looked at it. each we other knew, and, yeah. like, it was a look. And Josh had a good point. I think you were saying like, what's that term? At the point like that the car was just sitting there. It was a, what's it called? Gray man? Or, it was a gray man. Like just there, nothing about it. But nothing. then all of a sudden, you know, it was, on, it could have been on their radar. And, we, and then we put like bags and stuff in there. So... We're like, okay, let's move, change of plans. And that's when we ended up driving around forever trying to find another parking oh, spot. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, guys. Um, so that wasted a little bit of time. That was the only incident I thought, like, hmm, this seems a little off. It seems a little dodgy. Whereas, yeah, in Bilbao, yeah. Yeah, whereas, like, for example, uh, during the day when we were crossing the one of the bridges to get into the old city uh, in Yeida, um, during the day you see a mixed demographic of people that are crossing the bridge like plenty of women in their I don't know teens 20s 30s that are that are going back and forth uh, men and women but at night when we crossed like after sundown the bridge was 90 95 percent male like just sitting around hanging out on the bridge um, so it, it gave it gave it this sense of like it's no longer a family-friendly atmosphere, and and it, it makes it made me wonder like like why aren't women out now? Like what what's happening that the local ladies are not out? Yeah, did you notice that? I did notice that. I mean, I don't know what to make of it, but it is always weird, I guess, when it's nighttime and there just seem to be a lot of dudes hanging out, just guys. Mm-hmm. I don't know, but I th- we we noticed that in Marseille as well at night. When yeah, we traveled there, which. That's a place that is known to not be super safe either. So interesting. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you this. Something that I thought of is earlier in one of the episodes when we were talking about uh, immigration to Spain, because we were, you know, highlighting how many Americans actually come to Spain, especially since like in Portugal, it's like, sounds like Americans are flooding there and it's like, let's look at the numbers. So like the same thing, let's look at the numbers in Spain. And I think it was the number one... um, migration country was Morocco, right? Yeah. To Spain, which yeah. surprised me. However, yeah. <laughs> I saw it in Yeda. There were, you could tell there were a lot of Moroccans. By the way, they look, but then also wearing like um, Morocco Moroccan jerseys. Soccer jerseys. Soccer yeah. jerseys. So you're like, okay. They got a lot to be proud about though. They, they team do have a team. The and well, men, men and women. Women did well too. Yeah. They had a good showing. They did. Uh, the Women's World, World Cup. Cup. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and in my mind, I guess I thought, well, Morocco makes makes sense, but I I figured they'd be a lot more in the south. Yeah. But um, which they probably are as well. But there seemed to be a big Moroccan population here. And this is nothing against Moroccans. No, no, Actually, I'm just we, saying. We, we I worked was, with a Moroccan guy in Saudi that was awesome. Yeah. No, I'm just saying that like I was surprised that Morocco was number one because mm-hmm. I hadn't really noticed that in places. But this mm-hmm. was the first place that I noticed. Okay, there's a lot of Moroccans here. Okay. So real quick connection from. Uh, Morocco and Portugal, it is a massive uh, and highly popular travel destination when living in Portugal because the flights are quite cheap. It's, it's very easy to get to Morocco. Uh, highly recommend going to Morocco. Here's the funny thing, though, and a comment that I made to Kaylee about this. Morocco is is interesting and it has uh, it has unique like cultural things about it. 
which makes you want to go to Morocco. The food is, is really um, exotic as well. But when you're in Spain, yeah, like... See, it's chirping a little bit in back. Yeah, <laughs> but when you're in Spain, like you're, you're visiting Spain, you're not visiting Morocco. Yada felt like we were visiting Morocco in some parts. Yeah, I get what you're saying. So it's like, why why would I go to Spain to have it feel like Morocco? I might as well just go to, go Morocco. to Morocco. Yeah, I agree. Right? Uh-huh. So if we're comparing Yeda yeah. to anywhere in Portugal, yep. we've I guess, in my opinion, we've never been anywhere in Portugal that has felt like Unsafe. this isn't... Oh, I was going to say, this oh. isn't Portuguese. Oh. Unsafe, <laughs> yeah, unsafe too, but like... This doesn't feel Portuguese because um, I felt like in Yeda, this doesn't feel Spanish. Yeah, for sure. There were there were absolutely parts of it that did not feel Spanish, uh, parts of Yeda that that did not feel Spanish. Yeah, I think there's nowhere that I can think of in Portugal that we travel traveled around to where it's like this doesn't feel Portuguese. I mean, maybe Parque das Nações feels like something different, but like international though. Not like yeah, yeah. not like a different country, but yeah. a bit more like international feeling, more mixed or I mean, something. What, Maybe you know what, what I mean. It, what does it feel like to feel Portuguese? Like, what? is it is it an architectural thing? Is it what is it? I think maybe it's the language uh, you hear people speaking. Yeah, maybe architect, what, but English? like language. No Portuguese. Like, if, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what are you talking about? No, like you okay, about? you walk around. And you hear, you're hearing Portuguese, you're seeing the more Portuguese style by look. I mean, obviously tourism is a little different, but like. What, what do you mean style though? Architectural style? No, the way, the way that people, people look and the way people dress. Uh-huh. okay. Um, so it's more of that feeling. Whereas in Yeda, you, you look around and people didn't look Spanish. People didn't dress Spanish. Um, so that I think is what, what gave it. What does it mean to look and dress Spanish though? Help us out here. <laughs> like paint a mean? picture because we're, you know, this isn't a YouTube video where we can do B-roll and show. What okay. Well, I would Spanish say that, like. uh, Islam is not a, a big religion in Spain or ah, Catholicism. Gotcha. So gotcha. you see a lot more women walking around with their head covered yeah. and fully covered. So yeah. right there, you know that they're, they're Muslim and yeah. that is not a not commonly Spanish, right? Yeah. So you have that. You also have a bit more of the darker skin. So you know that um, some people are coming from different African countries um, because that's not a a normal, a a general Spanish trait. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean... The really dark, the really dark though. No, not not no, not no, North the, African. The really dark. It's the same as like okay. Oh, I, think, I see what you mean. I think like in Portugal, you can tell maybe someone's come from Cape Verde because they're a little they're darker. Now yep. maybe they were born in Portugal and their parents are from Cape Verde. Yep. Um, but it's not the typical Portuguese look. So this is where right. I'm saying like, um, it did not look and feel like the typical Spanish. Well, I mean, there there are a lot of Brazilians that live in Portugal that are black. Yeah, but the Brazilian, think, that's I, what I'm saying. Well, yeah, but they could also get naturalized or and, and be Portuguese. But I think this is where it's kind of interesting with, with some of the black British or black American friends that we've made uh, or people that even we've talked to about this. They oftentimes are first thought of by Portuguese as being Brazilian, like before... American or before British. Oh, okay. Remember the conversations we've had with people like 
when when they're when they meet somebody when they meet a Portuguese person, the Portuguese person first assumes that they're Brazilian because they're black. Yeah. Which I think I think is funny. Well, maybe because there's, but there's more Brazilians. There's far more yeah, Brazilians. Yeah, yeah. It's, than you're there just are. going you're just going based on odds. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not nothing's it's, wrong with it. No, no, it, nothing's but. wrong with it. It's and it's. I mean, you know, you never know. You could be treated differently uh, if someone thinks you're Brazilian as opposed to an American or a Brit or whatever. Yeah, maybe. Uh, so in that way, like it's, that. it could potentially not be good. Yeah, because there there's is... nothing. It's not. It's not racist if someone looks at uh, a black person and thinks, "Oh, they're Brazilian." Brazilian. Well, and I think that also goes down to like the bit of rivalry that Portugal and Brazil have. Oh, you for know, sure. Because of their history and their past, and then tensions. Yeah. Between the two. Um, Worldpost.io is powered by Anytime Mailbox, which means you can get your mail anytime, anywhere, even on your smartphone. And they really have competitive pricing with their lowest package starting at $5 per month. Here's a cool feature they have. Worldpost can relay things from the U.S. to Europe. So that includes documents. <laughs> Amazon purchases Amazon from the purchases, US. And you can get it to Portugal. And they have a variety of packages. Some include secure shredding, free junk mail filters, and things like that. I bet you love that junk mail filter. Oh, lots of junk mail. I sign up for a lot of newsletters. (laughs) She's not joking. So if you're interested in worldpost.io, you can visit the website or check the link in the show notes below. Okay, let's talk about Lusitana Dreams because what they're offering is really great. Yeah, it definitely is. And Dallas actually has grown Lusitano Dreams since we first met him. So he's really getting his process dialed in. The thing that I like about it is it removes the barrier and, and choke point of the proof of accommodation. Because that's been one of the biggest things that the D7 and the D8 for the, like the long-term people have had problems with, right? Yeah, it's definitely something that is really hard to lock yourself into sight unseen. But here you can have a legitimate contract. You can rest assured that it's going to be a soft landing because you're coming into a furnished place in a good location and a livable location until you can kind of get your bearings and figure out where you really want to live. And the cool thing about it is that they can start your lease when you arrive. So you're not like burning a few months of of cash essentially paying for an apartment or paying for a lease that you're not using. Yeah, that's one that's really hard to negotiate, trying to get a lease that starts when you want to arrive and not when you are actually applying. So the fact that they offer that as a service to where you're not, like you said, burning those months saves you a lot of money. Yep, Lusitano Dreams offers visa-friendly proof of accommodation. So that could be for the D7 visa or the D8 visa. And their properties include detached houses, apartments, room rentals as well in different locations like Lisbon, Cascais, Lule, and they're expanding too. So uh, soon to be Porto and quite possibly Silver Coast. Yeah, which is really exciting. So check out Lusitano Dreams for more information. We have a link in the show notes below. Okay, so back to Yeda. Yep. So just a different feeling. It didn't feel like a Spanish city, um, architecture-wise as well. I mean, there were some really pretty things. The The cathedral was really pretty. Yeah. Um, and it was nice to have a little playground right there, which is clutch, always with Sia. Yeah. Um, but that was pretty to walk around. And it was quiet. You know, there were people there, but it was quiet. But well done, I'd say. 
Um, and then you had a couple streets that were good for shopping, some good restaurants. Their, their downtown little shopping district, uh, removing the, the safety, like safety aside, it was really nice. It was cool. Yeah. Cool also temperature-wise, right? Cool temperature-wise because so, <laughs> the stores were pumping the AC. And they, and the they left their doors open. open, yeah. And then you're kind of in this, like, a bit, it's a bit of a smaller a walkway. Yeah, so that it kind of holds in the, in the coolness oh, because nice. it does get really hot. Yeah. Um, I mean, we're heading out of town now just in the nick of time because when I was looking at uh, the weather for the next few days, it is over 100. The high is over 100 for the next few days. In the yeah. yeah, we thankfully I think the highest we got was 97, 98, but it, it gets pretty hot there. Yeah, and we're now we're heading up into the mountains um, in Andorra, so the Pyrenees will be cool us off. Yeah, well, which will be nice. In the 80s. Um, and speaking of like the little, the old town, the downtown um, area of Yeda, yeah. another thing that I did notice, which I, you know kind of goes back to the safety as well, there were a lot of police officers in groups, yeah. not police officers walking around single, but they had like the big like truck, like the yeah bulletproof like armored, truck yeah they were vehicles. yes armored vehicles uh there were a lot in different pockets um and so there well, was that and not only that but they they like to go have their coffee and and donuts together maybe not donuts but you know what i mean I think, I think like we saw coffee. we saw that we saw so that groups like multiple times and apparently our hotel was a hangout as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We saw it on two different occasions that there were a, a lot of them, which I think maybe in my opinion, that's probably because it's a little out of the town. So they're, um, you know, out of that area. Yeah. Just to kind of have their coffee. Decompressed. Peacefully, quietly. Yeah. Because yeah. they are on break, right? Yeah. Um, so they can actually take a break a little outside of that area. But, um, so there were a lot of police. I would like to go back to, because I don't think that we we delved enough into this. I would like to go back to the what it means to look Portuguese. Because we, we didn't fully, I don't mean Portuguese like people, but I mean like if a city looks, looks Port Portuguese. or a town looks Portuguese, what does that mean? Let's flesh that okay, out. Okay, because we did actually talk about how in Spain, the architecture uh, is very different than what we see in Portugal. Yes, yeah, cities are laid out. Laid out differently. differently. Yeah. So tell me, we were talking about this yesterday. So just tell me, just tell the tell the listener what you were saying yeah. about the layout. Definitely, what I see, and I've touched on this um, on on other podcast episodes, is the building heights are different. Uh, Spain seems to go up a bit more yeah. than in Portugal, but also it seems like the Spanish cities that we've come across have four different styles of developments in cities where you have you have your kind of like downtown old city then you have construction that might be from like the the 70s 60s 70s 80s 50s 60s 70s something like that um which will be anywhere between two and maybe six stories high yeah yeah. All right. Mm -hmm. Then you have some more modern stuff that exists. Uh, and then you have like houses, like things that look quite residential. So having that mix is super common to see in Spanish cities. And you do get that in Portugal as well. But usually it's only like two of those things kind of at a time. Like in a city, it'll have two of those <laughs> in a city it'll have two of those types of architecture 
uh, or development rather than having all four. The exception would be um, Porto and Lisbon. Porto and Lisbon have that whole mix, but we're talking about the two biggest cities. Uh, and I'll throw Braga in there. We've noticed that in Braga as well. What about Coimbra? But, but it is on the outskirts, right? Yeah, like, on the outskirts. Mm-hmm. Like, like say, that's I would say like, like Coimbra is on the outskirts, right? Yeah. Well, and when I say on the outskirts, like it's kind of like the suburbs. But to give you an example, in Porto, you have two areas. You have uh, Combatense, which is the next metro station up from Marques, where, and then a, a neighborhood called Antes, where you have like single family houses or American style duplexes. So not Portugal, what Portugal calls a duplex, which is an apartment that has a unit that's split by a floor. Internal stairs. Internal stairs. I'm talking about a large building, an interior wall that divides one family lives on this side, the other family lives on the other side. So you have a duplex or you have a single family house landed home in the city. Like that neighborhood is in the city center for sure. You also have Foch, which Foch is a part of uh, Foch do Douro. It's a neighborhood, a part of Porto. It would not be considered a suburb. It feels a bit suburban. You also have parts of Bovista that have these landed homes, beautiful landed homes, expensive landed homes. And in the midst of Boavista, you have the, the other housing styles that I talked about. Lisbon's got the same thing going on in different neighborhoods there, but in other towns and cities of Portugal, you don't find that. You find like the old style of architecture and the old city. Just like not really built up high. Like there's not the modern higher buildings. There's no like skyscrapers and stuff. Is that what you mean? Like not skyscrapers, I, I mean, not that high, that, but like I mean beyond that, buildings. there's not a a mix of housing developments or re- residential developments the way it is in Spain. Okay, well, why do you think that is? Huh, it's a greater question. I think I think Portugal is is just behind when it comes to infrastructure. I think economically it's it's just lagged i mean will it catch up i don't know like i think for all the policies that portugal has there's a lot of things that portugal does right and does well um but when it comes to infrastructure infrastructure takes time and portugal's not saudi arabia that has like unlimited oil money that they can just throw it at whatever they want quickly right exactly Um, it, it just will take time over time. And, um, I think that's what we're looking at. I mean, one of the complaints that you hear from Portuguese people, especially those Portuguese that have lived abroad, is just how behind Portugal is when it comes to infrastructure. And it's a reason why Portugal does tend to lag when it comes to, um, negative economic periods. So when the world crashed in 2008, 2009, um, like global economy melted down, Portugal didn't actually melt down until like 2011, 2012. <laughs> they were behind in their meltdown. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, uh, it's, th- that lag is is real for, for whatever reason. And, you know, there's that you know, two-year period where, two, three-year period after where 
The big event happens where there's an immediate impact on larger economies, more developed economies, um, and then Portugal gets hit. Uh, I think when it comes to infrastructure, that's that's still an issue. All right. Yeah. Yeah. You can definitely see it. Um, So, I mean, do you think that that Portugal should keep some of these smaller towns and or these towns the way they are and keep that type of charm, I guess you could say? Or do they need to kind of get the program and get building faster? I don't think it's I don't think it's up to the central government, to be honest. I mean, look, I don't know what. It's really difficult for me to know what's actually happening because I don't see the numbers. Okay, I, I don't know what the government is able to spend, but I also don't think that this is something that's going to be solved by by the municipality. Where Portugal does really well when it comes to the municipality is taking care of common spaces. So that would be parks and you know playgrounds and. Um, bus stops and things like that, right? Those kind of amenities the government puts money into, the tax tax dollars go into that. I've heard from from Portuguese people that the healthcare system uh, it puts a strain on the the tax dollars, the tax revenue. You know what I mean? Is it because a lot of money from taxes and such go into goes into that? that yes. So. Yes, that's why. That's why. That's what I mean. So a lot of the money that could go into other things goes into go, that. Goes into that. Goes into the healthcare. I assume also goes into education. Those are two really important things. So and there, they're strong in Portugal too, for the most part. I mean, strong in the sense of oh, like, for sure. like healthcare world, is world good, ranking. education world is ranking. good. Yeah. Yes, and both things. So at least the money is being put to good use and doing well. But I think that it's the private money. The private sector that is going to be what builds up um, the the next kind of wave of housing stock. Where government will play a part in that is what they allow to be built and incentivizing as well, right? I mean, yeah, yeah, and incenti- incentivizing for sure. But I think if we're talking about mixed developments, the government is is the one that says like. Yes, we're going to zone this area uh, for this type of construction, this type of project, or no, we're not. And at the speed they do that uh, as well. Oh, slow, yeah. (laughs) If if they do that faster, that can can help out more and that can give investors more confidence. Um, You know, what that would do to prices, I don't know. Uh, How the government would potentially subsidize. Um, and that is tricky, too, because you want to still keep a little bit of, like, the the history of, like, the older parts. Like, so, for example, if you're downtown. I don't think that stuff's going away. No, but, I mean, so I think that what they'll do is they'll continue to regulate that in uh, certain zones and districts. You can't do too much, right? You can't modernize the outside. You keep the tiles or you keep the architecture the same. So then at that point is the newer stuff going to be like you were saying on the outside still or are they going to figure out a way to mix it the way that we're seeing in Spanish cities does that make sense yeah it definitely makes sense I think that uh, I have no crystal ball so I don't know but I think that um, I, I think it's past it's it's done like what's done is done the 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 development that has occurred um, and you know and what we've seen in Spain Spain's just 
a generation or two ahead when it comes to how things have, have been developed and the infrastructure. I think that's one of the complaints that people have when they compare Spain and Portugal. It has to do with infrastructure. Now, where Portugal makes up in spades is that the culture of the people and the safety aspect of living in Portugal whips Spain's butt. Yes, yeah. I mean, it's just it's just better. It's you definitely see a difference it's there. For sure. Thoughts? Like final parting thoughts? Final thoughts. <laughs> no, I mean, the trip has been really good. It's been nice to see some places we've been to um, but haven't been in a while. Yeah. And then see some newer places, just seeing a different part of Spain. So it's been good. Um, I would say overall thoughts on Yeda. <laughs> would you uh, expect that? Yeah, would I? Oh, yeah, we're to that point. Uh, no, definitely not. Um, well, like we've been talking about, it didn't feel like we were in Spain. So it's like, what's the point? Um, there are definitely uh, way better Spanish cities. I think that if you need to use it as a stopover, it's fine. One night is definitely enough for that. Um, but you don't necessarily need to go out of your way to visit Yeda. Thoughts? First, would you expat that? First of all, 100%, I would not expat that. You would have to pay me to live there, and I don't even know what that price would be. But there was that one really nice uh, modern apartment complex that I would live I, in. That I, looked really no, nice. I don't care. <laughs> because because real estate is location, 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 and you can't move that nice building complex to another place. It's there. It is in Yeda. Yeah, there's so, just nothing to do there. Like, why so would you go there, I guess? If you want to do a road trip and it passes through Yeda, I, I caution you to stay the night. If you do, make it a half day. Roll in, go check out the, uh, actually, roll right up to the Sylvia. The Yeah, the cathedral. The That's cathedral. Up there. You'll see it. <laughs> Go up there, spend a couple hours. It's, uh, I think it's like seven euros for an adult, free for kids under seven, something like that. Um, check that out. Spend an hour or two walking around the, the shopping area. Watch your pockets. Go to your hotel. Get some sleep. Go to the go to the Ebis, right? Yeah, the it was Ebis, good. The Ibis. A, a little Very outside. Very good budget hotel. Yeah, and it's outside of the, the old center which is kind of nice, but it's still really easily connected. You can walk and there's stuff to do around there. It feels a little more modern there. So half a day, get some rest, wake up in the morning and take off again. Half a day. <clears throat> half a day. Half a day. All right. So we are on the way now to Andorra. We're going to finish this drive. So we cut through the mountains. We need to jump off here. Yes. So it's definitely next, getting more mountainous. Up next, Andorra. Now let's get moving. Bye. Bye. So listener, we know that you are preparing to move to Portugal. We did everything ourselves for the D7 visa. So we have a DIY D7 course. We also have a DIY remote worker course now since they've split those up. And if you're already here, we have a living in Portugal course for you. Now, the difference between the D7 and the D8 or the Digital Nomad Visa course that you could get is if you have active income, you should be getting the Digital Nomad or D8 course. If you have passive income, 
you should be getting the D7 course. And we have a special promotion for anybody that is a listener of this podcast. If you type in podcast at checkout, you will get $15 off. So these will just guide you through exactly what you need. They stay up to date as things change. And once you purchase it, it's yours for life. So if you're not ready to go now, you can still get it and take a look and you can use it later on. And Kaylee is a mad lady and she is always updating the course so that it doesn't fall out of date. Well, I have to because they're always changing things and so it has to stay up to date. That's facts. Thank you so much for joining us this week on Let's Move to Portugal. Contact info for all the services mentioned are in the show notes. If you like the show, please subscribe. If you love the show, please tell a friend, connect with us on our socials, and if you want to help us out, give us a review on your podcast player. Expats Everywhere Presents Let's Move to Portugal is produced by Time or Money Productions. Expats Everywhere researches our guests, and we do our best to provide factual and relevant information at the time of the recording. Despite our best efforts, we can make no guarantees as to the accuracy of what you've heard in this episode. We highly recommend that you do your own research and check your own facts.